Welcome to Boldly Bald Women, surviving and thriving in a hair-obsessed world. If you are grappling with the emotional and social impacts of hair loss, whatever the cause, and frustrated with hot, itchy wigs, this is the place for you. Your host, Pam Fitros, international best-selling author of Boldly Bald Women, guides women on a weekly journey from wanting to hide to becoming courageously bold. Pam herself has alopecia universalis, which has caused permanent loss of all body hair. Listen as she shares inspirational stories and interviews with experts offering insight into recovering self-confidence and reclaiming joy. Now, here's your host, Pam Fitros. Welcome, Melanie. How are you today? I am well. Good. Melanie, let's get started here. How long have you had alopecia areata? Um, I've I've dealt with alopecia areata for the past 42 years. Uh, My mother and grandmother first noticed it when I was uh, very young, about 14 months old, and um, kept trying to convince themselves that my hair loss was normal, that uh, that the loss of the baby hair, eventually my other hair would grow in, and, and of course when it didn't, then they started taking me to see some specialists, and we started with the corticosteroid creams and eventually injections later on when I was old enough, and um, basically years of treatment off and on. Um, and finally ending, and I, I kind of question the ending because I've been, uh, I, I've had, I've, I've dealt with totalis and I've dealt with universalis a couple other times in my life and have regrown hair. So, you know, there's always still that hope that perhaps maybe one day, but, uh, but I'm okay with where I am now and, and very comfortable. What I have learned about alopecia is that it is one of the most fickle things that ever, ever has happened to me uh, with, with regrowth and not regrowth and just when you think you know what's going to happen next, you don't. I know you had multiple episodes of regrowth and fallout, Melanie. How old were you at the start of each episode and was there anything that you could point to that triggered the episodes? Right. Well, that. Like I said, the first one um, that happened was I was I was extremely young. Um, there really, you know, I look back and I think to myself, there really couldn't have been a, a trigger other than, um, you know, maybe a hormonal change or, or, you know, growing up. You know, later on when I, I lost my hair again when I was eight and there was some dichotomy changes within the family as far as we had been living with my grandparents. My mother remarried and... We ended up moving out, and um, and of course my mom had a new baby, and I had this sister, and and kind of had to deal with the the feelings of no longer being an only child, which was a little devastating. Mm. <laughs> and then I of course grew great, regrew my hair later on, and then started dealing with stressful situations later on in life, in my twenties and my thirties, between having children and and dealing with the shift of becoming a mother and dealing with a couple divorces. The second one was a very verbally abusive relationship that lasted for a few years prior to us finally separating and getting divorced. And that was the time when I started linking that stress was definitely a trigger for my immune system to start attacking my body. And that's also when I found out that I was hyperthyroid to add to the alopecia uh, another autoimmune disorder. So that was my way of starting to link 
the stress trigger to what was happening with my body. And then I, of course, regrew my hair. My life got better. And when I turned 40, I started dealing with some more family stress, stress from work, stress at home. But I think the biggest thing was it isn't the everyday stress that everyone is under. It's a feeling of a lack of control over that stress, like not really feeling like you can change that stress. I believe that that's the difference for me. I can handle everyday stress, but it's a stress that I, ha- that I feel powerless. So I believe that to be my, my trigger. I think that's a great distinction between everyday stress and some big uh, event that you can't control, some outside stress that comes in that there's nothing you can do to control right. it. I find that that's true in my own life as well, that it has always been outside events that have triggered hair loss. I remember being a child and my father had a heart attack and I had a bunch of little patches that fell out of my head. And when I had trouble in a relationship, I also lost hair there. And my husband was in an accident. I lost more hair there. And then stress at work that was nothing that I could do that was horrific, that caused, not caused, because we know that stress does not cause alopecia. You have to have a genetic component for that. But it did trigger the alopecia universalis that I have today, and that was almost eight years ago now. And the hair has not grown back yet. So my feeling is that once you get to to universalis, it's not likely that that your hair is ever going to grow back. But then you never know, because I had a few stray hairs that grew up the outside of my ear, and camp there for a while, and then they all left. So, you know, who knows? The odds are not good. (laughs) But the odds are not good. I like that, yes, but the odds odds are not good. good. Was there a different emotional impact at different ages in both the way you felt and the way people responded to you? Yeah, I think as a child, liken it to, um, you know, children don't think about their appearance. They'll walk around with no clothes on. They have no worries about uh, what people think about them. And I, mm-hmm. I remember seeing people react to the fact that I didn't have any hair. And it, it, it isn't so much that they reacted unkindly or rudely. It was just they were kind of taken aback. And I never really understood that response from people because I was who I was. My grandparents gave me such a supportive family life that some of those reactions from other people, I, I just didn't understand it. Um, so I think as a child, uh, I, I kind of stress to parents, don't make them feel different. Don't push them to their wigs. Let, let them deal with their alopecia any way they want to deal with it because they don't really know. You know, it isn't until we're taught that we're different or we're taught that we're supposed to have hair. It isn't until that age that we start to struggle a little bit with it. Uh-huh. Children don't care. They're very accepting. Mm-hmm. So do you think that when you say let children handle it as they choose, you mean about offering wigs or not offering wigs? Sure, absolutely. You know, as far as offering a wig to them, they have that option. They have children's wigs. They have lots of different options for kids. Um, But I don't think that any child should be pushed into wearing a wig. I think that it gives them almost a sense of there's something wrong with them. We have to hide this. We have to cover it. Yes, Um, Yes, I so agree with that. Yeah, I don't think emotionally that's very good for for kids to have to go through. And I think that children who are kind of pushed into wearing wigs, it's not about their hair. It's about their parents' feelings about their their baldness and the the desire to protect them against hurt. 
children can handle it quite well if you give them the opportunity and perhaps talk to, if they're school age, you give them the opportunity to have a talk with teachers or maybe an assembly in the school. There's lots of ways to deal with it besides wigs that are, I think, maybe more helpful to children. Absolutely. I love the children's alopecia project. I wish that they had had that running when I was little because I see some of the kids that are coming out of the summer camps and they are so confident mm-hmm. um, and, and really know that, that there's other people that are just like them. Can you say a little bit about the children's project, how parents could get in touch with them? Oh, they, they have a website, Children's Alopecia Project. I, I don't remember whether it's a .org or a .com. But they are online. They also have a Facebook. Jeff does a great job of marketing. I know that they have some celebrities this year that will be there for the summer camp, which I think is awesome. We're talking about the emotional impact at different ages. As you progressed to junior high and high school, did it change for you? Absolutely. I think the kids in junior high and high, we have this whole psychological drive. They don't necessarily want to conform. They want to be nonconformist. They want to be rebels. They want to be independent. But at the same time, they don't want to be different. You know, they want to fit in. They want to be in some kind of a group. And it's not necessarily time when you want to be different, where you don't want to be the oddball. And so I did, I, I struggled a lot with junior high and high and never really felt like I fit into any specific group you know, how high schools have cliques, and I tended to be on the outskirts of most of those cliques and and kind of, you know, followed along with a number of different groups, but never really feeling like I was part of those groups. There was nobody else like me. Nobody understood what I was going through. I'm feeling very alone. Did you wear a wig then, Melanie? Oh, I sure did. (laughs) And I wore some hard wigs. (laughs) So even Um, wearing a wig, you didn't feel like you fit in? No, even then, I did not feel like I fit in. I think that if I had been more active in support groups of people that were like me, if I didn't feel so different, I don't think I would have worn a wig in high school. I think that I would have completely embraced being different, but also showing people that just because I looked different, that I wasn't different, that I was just like them. I find that interesting. You wore a wig and still didn't feel a part of anything. Do you think people noticed that it was a wig? I felt like people knew it was a wig all the time. Okay, so wearing a (laughs) wig made you more self-conscious about hair loss than not wearing a wig. Right. Okay, and then after high school as an adult... Yeah, I I did for a, a very long period of time, I regrew my hair. But I have to say that when I regrew my hair, I never had a full head of hair. You know, I was never able to grow my hair to the point where I could have a ponytail. I could never put my hair up in an upsweep or, you know, do anything really fancy. It was always extremely thin. I would have spots. I would have very little growth back in the nape of my neck. I was always extremely self-conscious of what I looked like on a windy day or sitting in a movie theater. I didn't like to be in the front of the movie theater because I knew people could see the back of my head. And so it was a very, um, it was a very self-conscious effort to get away from that and feel better about myself. I think that losing my hair altogether helped with that. I share that feeling with you. Once my hair was all gone, I felt 
so free. Yeah. I felt yeah. so comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, very comfortable. I can walk into a room full of people now and completely bald. And if people look at me, I don't feel like they're looking for my bald spots. They're looking at me because I'm bald. But it's obvious. It's obvious now. I'm not trying to hide anything. I'm not trying to hide spots. I'm not trying to fit in. I'm not, I am who I am. And uh, that's kind of the difference. You told me that you had a quote about that. Yeah, be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. Isn't that just the truth? That is so true. I felt free to be who I was when mm -hmm. I had no hair. And when people looked at me, sometimes I didn't even remember that I was bald. But when I right. had portions of hair or I was wearing a wig, I never, ever, ever got to forget that I was bald. Right. The being free was a wonderful thing for me. It was just, it just changed everything. What made yeah. you decide to stop wearing wigs? It was about a comfort level. And it was a comfort level on multiple levels. Number one, wigs are not comfortable to wear. They're itchy. They're, <laughs> they don't always fit properly. You know, I read a lot of comments from women that say, oh, I, I put Dermafix in my wig and I can wear it 24-7 or, or I can swim in my wigs. I can do this in my wig. To me, I never got to that point. I don't feel that they're comfortable. I'm scared to death that it's going to fall off. And the embarrassment, I'll tell you, I can walk around bald anytime and not be embarrassed. But if I was wearing a wig and it accidentally falls off my head, there's a moment of embarrassment there. <laughs> that, you know, almost like a fight or flight type feeling of, oh, my God, I'm, I'm bald. They're not comfortable to wear. I'm, I'm always kind of on edge when I have one on my head. Anywhere that I go, I, I don't wear a wig. If I'm going to the store, I, I am who I am. I'm much more comfortable in my own skin, and that's, it's about being comfortable in ourselves and being able to be confident in who we are. I was never confident in high school with a wig. Again, I didn't feel like I fit in. When I am bald, I'm very confident. I'm very comfortable. I don't have to worry about people seeing a bald spot. Take the wig off and be much more comfortable. There was something that you used said uh, a couple times that I just absolutely love, and it's not worrying about the comfort of others. You know, you don't need to wear a wig to make others comfortable around you. And I think that's a really important level as far as not wearing wigs, too, is to do it for yourself, not for other people. That took a while for me to get to that point where I could say, it's not my job to protect other people from their own feelings. That included my sister. We had just lost my brother uh, from a heart attack shortly before I lost all my hair. His loss was so difficult for my sister that she couldn't look at my bald head it made her feel like she was going to lose me too. Right. And so she wanted me to wear hats. And, and I did for a while. She, I said, if you want me to wear hats, you're going to have to make them. So she found a way to, to crochet fedoras. And she made me a whole bunch of different hats that I still wear in the wintertime if, if my head is cold. But right. finally, when she saw one day when I said, Diane, I need, I need some paper towels. And I, I was sopping up the sweat from my head. I had to lift a hat, sopped up the sweat. And when she saw that it took two paper towels to sop up all the sweat on my head, I looked at her and I said, I can't do this anymore. 
I just, I, I can't be this miserable so you don't have to look at my head. I had to come to a point, Melanie, where I could say, I'm not responsible for your comfort. And I think a lot of people who wear wigs feel the same way, that we are responsible for not offending other people or not shocking other people or causing them anxiety. And when I finally got to that point where I could say to my sister, no, I can't do this, then she got to a point where she can say, I understand and I can accept where you are. And now we don't even think about it. I mean, it's not even... Not even a conversation anymore. If I put on a, a wig, she'd say, who's that? You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you like best about being bald? Besides saving a ton of money. <laughs> hair styling, hair styling products, uh, salon, razors. Uh, you know, I probably, last year, I think I spent maybe $200 on five cheap wigs which I play with. And, you know, otherwise, I don't spend a dime. I buy shampoo and conditioner for my girls and razors for my boyfriend and, and just think I, I, I am saving a tremendous amount of money. My husband says the same thing. I figure between haircuts and color and, and highlights and, and all the other things that you use, she said, I'm saving at least $1,500 a year. He says, this, exactly. this is pretty good, this exactly. being bald stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. It saves time in the morning. You know, all I have to do is, like, look in the mirror and go, yep, I'm good. <laughs> I know. And, and if you get hot in the summertime, I think the thing I love the best, the best, the best, the best, the best yeah. is in the summertime when I get hot and sweaty, and I do, being a, being a heavy woman, I sweat just a ton. And if I get too hot, all I have to do is excuse myself, go into the bathroom, put my head under the faucet with cold water, and dry it <laughs> off with a paper towel, and I'm good to go. And you're good. And you're good. <laughs> well, everybody yeah, else I is do. still sweating. I'm cool as a cucumber. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> what else do you like about it? You know, on a, on a more serious level, <laughs> I think that being bald makes us stronger people emotionally. I have a saying that's, Bald heads are made of thick skin. You know, if you're in a store and somebody says something to you rudely, it used to bother me. It used to really irritate me that this person would be so rude, and then I would go home and feel bad about myself. And now I look at it and, and think to myself, wow, that, there's really something wrong with that person at all. <laughs> so I think emotionally, emotionally we become much stronger than, than other mm. people. And I, I know who I am. I love who I am. And I know I'm beautiful with or without hair. Um, and yes, I you are. I've seen your we, picture. <laughs> <laughs> I also think that we become much more empathetic to other people, mm -hmm. to their shortcomings, whether, you know, it's a physical attribute, attribute that they have that, that is a shortcoming, whether it's a disability or even just a, a person who angers too easily or, um, you know, may, <laughs> may be a hoarder or, you know, those types mm -hmm. of things. Mm -hmm. We're more empathetic towards people who are imperfect because we recognize our own imperfections and um, find beauty in them. That's a very important thing that you just said, that we find beauty. Oh, absolutely. In other people's imperfections. Because yes, I think absolutely. there is beauty in every imperfection. If we just Whenever. look for it, mm -hmm. there's strength that comes with it. There's, it's as, if someone is blind, their hearing is improved, and they're so much more sensitive to the sounds 
and they can hear things that perhaps the rest of us can't hear and we as bald women understand things differently than women with hairdo and there I, I must say there are times when I feel really sad for women with hair and how much time they invest Mm -hmm. How much of their life they invest in making that meet the current standards of beauty. It's such a waste of our time, uh, of our living. It's a very shallow way to live as well, you know, for the, for the exterior, because really that's all it is. It's just the exterior. Working on the interior is much more important. Is there ever a time when you would wear a wig? I have a friend of mine who's been bald for at least 20 years now, and um she and her husband were invited to a, a wedding. When they were talking about going to the wedding, he said, uh, you know, I, I really want you to wear a wig for the wedding. And she was just floored. She never wears a wig. She has one uh, that she keeps in her closet, never pulls out. It just devastated her. She, she was so upset about this and, and thought that it had to do with his embarrassment about her going to his family's event, um, wearing, you know, being bald. She called me up crying, and there were a few days where she wouldn't speak to her husband at all. Um, and, and finally, I said, you know, you really need to sit down and talk to him and tell him how this is making you feel, because otherwise this whole entire event is just not going to be fun for either one of you, and that's, that's going to um, really be a bad thing. So she did. She sat down with him, and he said, wait a minute. You know, it has nothing to do. He said, after all these years of being with you, and your ball, you should know by now that this, it has no effect on me whatsoever. And he said, but it's my niece's wedding. And when we go out and you're bald, people focus on you. People talk to you. People reach out to you. And he said, I don't want the focus to be on you that day. I want it to be on my niece because it's her wedding day. I think that that taught both of us. A lesson. At the time, I had started regrowing my hair, but I remember this story when I started losing my hair and trying to decide whether I wanted to wear a wig or not, deciding when I wanted to wear one and when I didn't, and I believe it's that shifting the focus. Is this a good time? Is this a good opportunity for educating people about alopecia, or is this not such a great time for the focus to be on me? Weddings is a, a great example. I, I would not want somebody to focus on me and take away from the bride. I would much rather they focus on the bride for that day because it's her day. I also think that in a, a work atmosphere where I am, I deal with different people on a daily basis. I have a unique group of people that I deal with, and they're veterans, so the Veterans Affairs. And I want to focus on the veterans more than I want to focus on myself, dealing with them on a daily basis, different people on a daily basis. I don't want to have to continually explain why I'm bald to them multiple times because, again, that's not a really good opportunity for education. I want to focus on where they need to be for their, you know, it's a hospital, so where they need to be to go see their physician or, um, you know, even if it's just, hey, the valet parking is around the corner. I don't want to take five minutes to explain why I'm bald during that uh -huh. time. I don't. That's not, an, that's not an appropriate educational opportunity. So I, I do feel that there's a good time to wear a wig is when you want to shift the focus off of yourself, when you want to blend it with other people. I understand what the woman's husband was saying and what he was asking of her. I see where that would be really an appropriate time to wear a wig. 
I, you know, I don't know that I would do that. Tell me, how did you come to start your website, herhairloss.com, and what is its purpose? Herhairlosshelps.com. The internet was just really starting to take off with discussion forums, and it was before Facebook, and it was a way for people to start connecting with other people. And, and like I said earlier, in high school, I felt very odd. It felt like I was a freak, like I was the only person in the entire world who had this. And I, I, I just this sense of being alone. So I wanted to give a place for women, a safe haven, you know, a place that was well-moderated, that was closed to outsiders so that they had this security, this level of security of, of feeling very safe and being able to say whatever they wanted to say and their emotions and their feelings without the worry of anyone else knowing what they were saying, other than people that were already going through the same thing. But also, selfishly, it was a way for me to connect with other women who were experiencing the same feelings as I was. I remember there were many evenings where we would welcome a new member, and it would be, you know, I would, I would have a little ticker next to my computer that was, okay, this is number 38, woman who has alopecia and has dealt with this for over 10 years or, or whatever. And I remember sitting there and just crying because it was, to me, this was uh, the time where I finally knew that I wasn't alone, that, that, it was, that this was happening to other people and that everything that I, had see, that I had felt my entire life when I was growing up was completely valid. I think that that was, for me, building the site and allowing this place for other women to come was not only important for me, but also important for them. And then I also used the site for research and studying and talking with other women. And for some reason, I kept thinking to myself, I'm going to find the link. I'm going to find the link that these doctors have overlooked all of these years. There's got to be something that we all have in common that is causing this alopecia. And, of course, you know, I never did find it, but, <laughs> but it, was, it was a very good way for me to put down all of the information that I had compiled over the years. It was very therapeutic for me to be able to have that place, to be able to blog, to be able to talk with other women, to be able to pull information from other women as well. Uh-huh. And then, of course, I started regrowing my hair and needed the site a little bit less. I needed the support a little less, and then work uh-huh. and life kind of took over, and hair loss wasn't so much a focus anymore for me. I let herhairlosshelp.com kind of like die down a little bit. Uh, the forum broke for a while. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it that, was I languishing from this youth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and, then, and then, of course, Facebook. You know, Facebook showed up, and... Women were heading over to Facebook and creating their accounts and socializing with each other there. Facebook groups came about. So there really wasn't such a need for the Internet discussion forum that we had back in the early 90s. So it it just kind of like fell by the wayside for about five years. Then I had to come back to it. When I started losing my hair again, I joined the Alicia Arietta Facebook group. And I had been talking with other women who had alopecia for, for all those years um, in between. I had some really great relationships. I had the need to reach out to others who had the same feeling and remind myself that I was not alone 
that I'm not the only person, that it isn't just 20 of us, that there's 141 million of us. And I realized that even though in these 40 years of having alopecia areata, I realized that even though the disorder has been around for so long, that there hasn't really been an overabundance of research and new treatment available to people. Uh So all of the research that I had done, um, you know, a decade ago was still very valid. And the approach that doctors are taking now with their patients isn't even as intimate as it used to be. It's incredibly oversimplified. I had someone contact me the other day that said, my doctor told me this is an autoimmune disorder, but I don't know what that means. And to me, a physician needs to be able to tell their patient, this is what's happening to your body, and even if it's in a simple way. But now it's even oversimplified to the point Mm -hmm. where you're in the office and you're back out of the office. So you get right. it, and you don't know what right. you have. When, when you first started losing your hair, did you know what was happening to you? Uh, yes, I did, but that was mm-hmm. because my mother was a nurse, okay. and, and my <laughs> father had had alopecia areata as well. So I was mm-hmm. very well informed about what it was. In fact, when I got alopecia universalis, I never even went to a dermatologist because I knew as much as they did. Exactly. So, so, you know, there exactly. was no point. Last time I lost my hair, I, I went to the VA because I'm also a veteran and was meeting with one of the dermatology residents. When I pulled my hat off, her eyes just got really big. And I said, um, I have alopecia. And she said, I see that. <laughs> and I, I said, let's start talking about treatment options. And she said, I'm sorry, I've never seen this before. You know, she she had gone through her training and had learned about alopecia, but she'd never physically seen somebody with it before. So it was Mm -hmm. almost like I had to be her her teaching subject. Okay, let me walk you through the different treatments that we can do here, dear resident. So it got to the point where I started looking on the Internet, let's see what's available for people as far as education goes. There's a ton of misinformation, especially when it comes to websites that tout that they have the cure, that they're marketing to people who are losing their hair and almost preying on people just to make money. You buy this and you will regrow your hair and mm. people will do it. They'll, they'll spend $150, $200 for an eight-ounce bottle of something that this website, because it's on the Internet, it's got to be true. It's got to yeah. be right. The more I saw this, the more I got disgusted <laughs> by it. So I wanted to bring HerHairLossHalt.com back to be able to put up valid evidence-based information concerning not only this disorder, but also androgenetic alopecia for women, which is like a male pattern baldness um, and hormonally based, and the different treatment options that are available for women who are losing their hair without giving them false hope, being very real about what's happening with their body. I think that there's an importance in knowing your odds. Uh, you know, if you were to, not to say that this is akin to cancer or something like that, but if you were to get cancer, you know, say you got lung cancer and you, you went in and you, you're stage three, one of the first things that you ask your physician is, what are my odds? Before I start even looking at my treatment options, what are my odds? So I think it's very important for us to know what are our odds if we lost all of our hair, what are our odds of throwing it back? And a woman contacted me the other day and said that she had a spot. She has a quarter-sized spot 
on the back of her head, and she wanted to know how long it would be before she was bald. And I, wow. I, I, you know, I kind of giggled a little bit when she asked me because a lot of people think, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to lose it all. It's all going to be gone, and I'm going to end up just like you. You're gonna, I'm going to be bald just like you. But really what it comes down to is 80 to 85% of people that are affected by alopecia areata regrow their hair within a year without mm-hmm. treatment whatsoever, with or without treatment. They'll mm-hmm. regrow their hair. Only 1% of the people that are affected by alopecia areata actually become alopecia universalis. So the odds are most likely she'll regrow her hair within six, six to eight months and never have to deal with alopecia ever again. So I mm-hmm. think knowing those odds is very important. Having that education is extremely important. I think that's a very, very, very valid point and a very valuable service to provide for people in general but for women especially, because hair is so much a part of our core identity. I think worrying about alopecia and that you're going to lose all your hair can sometimes make it worse. Oh, yeah. Uh, whereas oh, yeah. If, you, stress, if you know... It definitely makes it worse. <laughs> it, yeah. It, emotionally, I don't know if it makes mm-hmm. it worse uh, physically as far as the alopecia itself is concerned, but I know it certainly can make it more intense and mm-hmm. um, and have a negative impact emotionally. You talked a little bit about the Alopecia Areata Facebook group. Can you tell me Mm -hmm. more about that? What's happening with that? I tried to create, again, very evidence-based, valid information. You know, we'll have people that come on there that say, absolutely don't use shots, don't, because they never work. Things that I like to, to let people know is that you know, one treatment may work for somebody, but it may not work for everybody. It, it, you know, we have a lot of people talking about the autoimmune protocol diet, which I think is a very valid treatment for autoimmune disorders in general. I don't believe that it will regrow your hair. I don't believe that, that uh, everyone has leaky gut. I, these, are, these are the types of conversations that we have on there, as well as a lot of people getting to the point where should I shave my head? I've lost about 80% of my hair. I don't feel comfortable. And so I think that, that having that support group, um, people who know what you're going through, I focus a lot on the, on the support group, so the alopecia areata support group um, in the same way. And one of the other things that we do there, which is a little different from some of the other support groups for alopecia on Facebook, is we don't allow marketing. No, no links to social media, no links to Instagram accounts, you know, mm-hmm. no fundraising, because it is first and foremost the support group. So we don't want anyone that's going to come in and say, hey, try this product on your hair and it'll regrow. And, mm-hmm. you know, those types of people are weeded out pretty quickly because mm-hmm. we want it to be specifically about support for people. I am so proud of you, Melanie. This is such a huge issue, getting women a place where they can speak and speak safely, yet get the information they need and be offered resources of places where they can go to learn more or to find treatment. The whole fact is that you're offering so much here. And reassurance to the one person who says, I've got a spot, when am I going to be bald? Right. Where else are they going to get that? They certainly aren't going to get it from their doctor. No. Because the doctors no. truly don't know. 
alopecia areata is a fickle autoimmune disease. You never, never know what's going to happen and what's not going to happen. But the right. fact that you can offer that kind of peace of mind to somebody or tell somebody else, look, this is your chance. You've got alopecia universalis right now. Chances of regrowing all your hair are pretty slim to none. So right. that people can get into a place where they can begin to accept, well, this is my new normal. Right, right. And get on with the I, grieving I, yeah, I like to, of the I, old. I like to tell parents as well, you know, when um, children when children get alopecia, they have it for a lifetime. I don't think I have ever met any child that has grown up later on in life. I've met a lot of people who have had alopecia when they were a child and now they're 30, 40 years old. And they dealt with it for a lifetime. They've lost, they've regrown, they've, you know, or they lost in high school and have never regrown. You know, this is a lifetime thing. So when, you're, when your child is two, rather than focusing on hiding it or treating it or, you know, trying to cure them or fix them, focus on building them up. Focus on building their confidence. Focus on you're not different. You're very normal. This is the only thing that's different about you, and it doesn't matter. Oh, amen to that. If we can just start with the children. I think yep. that's why the Kid Project is so important because oh, yeah. that they are giving children a lot more self-confidence and giving them the, the reality that your likelihood of dealing with alopecia areata once you have it is quite great for the rest of your life. Right. I don't know anybody either who never, ever, ever, had a problem with alopecia areata once they had it. I think that might be the genetic predisposition that we have toward alopecia. But giving children the information that they need, giving their parents the information that they need, and offering safety where nobody feels stupid for whatever question they ask is so important. Such a great use of your time and your energy. I am always looking for people who are taking advantage of their own alopecia to educate others and to empathize and comfort others. So this is just really wonderful for me to listen to you talking about that. Let me ask you what your top three tips would be for women who are struggling with the emotional and social impacts of hair loss. Number one, and I think that this is the most important one for especially when you're beginning to lose your hair and are very unsure of how this is going to impact your life, is to build very strong and supportive intimate relationships. That is you know, your friends, your family, your boyfriend, your husband, your significant other, whatever. But build those strong and supportive intimate relationships and surround yourself with these positive and supportive people. One of the things that I found out when I lost my hair, not this last time, the time before, you know, I kind of lose track. <laughs> I was going through a divorce. I had had enough. I couldn't take watching the hair fall out, and I, and I went to a barber and got my head shaved. Sat in the parking lot and cried afterwards. Then I looked at myself in the mirror and thought, you're gorgeous. You're absolutely beautiful. You're, you're perfect just the way you are. And I went home and rather than my rather than my husband being very supportive of I'm glad you took control, I'm glad you are facing this very well, he looked at me and he said, You look like a lesbian And to me that was so toxic. It was so 
deflating on a day when I really needed somebody to be very supportive and very uplifting, and I did not have that. And, mm. well, of course, he's my ex now. He's my ex for a very good reason, because he wasn't supportive, because he was not, he was not there for me, and that's what I needed at the time. So removing toxic people, and one of the things that you may realize as you're, you're going through this is that these toxic people may be people that are very close to you when you had hair and are no longer close to you later on. It may be a family member who can't accept it, and may need, you may need to push them away for a little while. It may be a husband. It may be a wife. It may be a best friend that you had all your life. Removing those toxic people and surrounding yourself with people who are uplifting and supportive. I have a fabulous boyfriend um, who I've been with for two years now. Uh I started losing my hair a few months after he and I started dating. I knew what was coming when I started losing my hair, and I kind of prepped him, and I said, look, I have alopecia. When my hair starts falling out, it may all go. It may go in spots. It may all go. And, And he looked at me, and he said, I don't care. He said, it's not, it has nothing to do with your hair. And I thought, yeah, sure, I've heard this before. <laughs> of course, mm-hmm. this is what yeah. you're going to say, but, <laughs> but just wait, just wait. And I kept expecting, you know, I kept expecting when I shaved my head, and I kept expecting him to be like, oh, my God, I can't deal with this. And, you know, every night before I go to bed, he kisses my head and tells me I'm beautiful. And that is the supportive and very uplifting, intimate relationship that has made a difference in me being able to embrace my own beauty and know that I'm beautiful. So I think that I, I think that's my first tip for women is to really surround yourself with people who understand are uplifting and supportive. And the people who um, don't or won't? <laughs> kick them to the curb. <laughs> it is it is okay. And this was a really tough one. When I when I was going through my divorce, it was a very tough lesson for me to learn was that it's okay to remove toxic people people from your life. It's not, it has nothing to do with you. It's them. It is not because you've done something wrong. It's because there's something wrong with them. So it's okay. It's okay to remove toxic people. You don't need to feel bad about doing that. Mm. So yeah, take them to the curb. A very difficult thing to do. I'm, I'm sure that some of our listeners are sitting there saying, oh, yeah, you can say this, but what about me? And I'm married, and I've been married for umpty ump years, and now I've lost my hair, and my husband hates me, and he hates how I look, and he doesn't want to have anything to do with me physically. And yet, as difficult as it is to say, kick him to the curb, I think that if somebody can't accept you for who you are and love you for who you are, do you really want them to be part of your life? Exactly. But it's a very difficult thing, and I certainly wouldn't go to that point without doing everything possible ahead of time, such as with my sister. It took about six months for her to be able to get to the point where she could truly accept me and not have a problem with it. I gave her that time knowing that when I looked at myself in the mirror the first time without my hair, I didn't know who I was. I was looking at a total stranger in the mirror, and I was shocked at this alien woman. Who are you, and what did you do with the face that I normally see in the mirror? And I think it's important to give a relationship time and perhaps outside counseling Mm -hmm. and, and explore within the other person what is it 
about my baldness that makes it hard for you to accept me? What, right. what are you afraid of? Are you afraid that other people will see my baldness as a reflection on you? Try and get them to explore their own feelings about it. Sometimes it can end up being a really wonderful growth incentive for couples. Uh, but in the end result, is I, it's like an abusive relationship. If somebody were being abusive to me, I can't imagine staying in that relationship. And you know, the funny point is, after we got divorced, I grew all my hair back. <laughs> <laughs> that is ironic, isn't it? Again. Yeah, again, but it all grew back. Well, what's your second tip? You said you had three tips. What's your second okay. tip? Letting go of social norms. Um, you know, you, you talk a lot about the hair sex world that we live in and mm-hmm. um, what our culture views as beautiful. And I think that letting go of those social norms, um, I, I see Nell has been bringing back uh, the bald movement, um, which kind of brings into light that bald women are beautiful um, and shows that we are beautiful. Um, Mary Marshall from, um, uh, what does she do, the Bald Mannequin Project that mm-hmm. she put together is um, the more bald women that are out there, uh, the, the more people see bald women, the more we're able to let go of these social norms. But I think that mm-hmm. that's really important when you're losing your hair is to be able to look in the mirror and say, I'm beautiful even without my hair. Melanie, the reality is that there are many women who are average when they have hair, and when they're bald, they're striking. Oh, yeah. There was a woman that shaved her head last night on the forum. I really feel for women when they first do it because they initially have that feeling that you're talking about where you look in the mirror and you have no idea who this person is. The first thing that came to my mind is I have never, ever seen a bald woman that isn't beautiful. I look at every single one of them and think, that is beauty. Same thing happens for me. And I'm thinking, well, is it because you're bald that you're seeing bald women that way but I don't think it has anything to do with the fact that I'm bald I think it has to do with the fact that 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 baldness itself simply takes away all of the the extraneous coverings of their beauty and exposes the bones and the cheeks and the eyes and and everything seems to pop it just right pops I agree with you I haven't seen a bald woman yet who's not beautiful Exactly. I think my last tip would be, you know, there's a lot of people that think that they have to be strong. You know, be strong, keep your chin up. It's okay to have a day where you cry. It's okay to have a day where you get angry. It's okay to have a day where all you can do is just breathe. For a while there, after I was going through my divorce, I had something on my refrigerator that says, to-do list for today. Number one, get out of bed. Number two, survive. And number three, go back to bed. You know, those were, that was my to-do list, taking it one day at a time, breathing when I needed to breathe, feeling the emotions that I needed to feel. It's very similar to a grieving process of when you lose a loved one because our hair is a loved one. And you're going through that grieving process. And some days, if all you can do is breathe, just breathe. Wonderful, Melanie. I have so enjoyed our talk today. I want to thank you for joining me, for sharing your stories and your insights. This time together has just been a real joy. Will you tell our listeners once again how they can get in touch with you? 
they can uh, visit me on herhairlosshelp.com. You can reach me through support at herhairlosshelp.com. You can also find me on Facebook. Um, I have a public profile, Melanie Moyer. I look forward to hearing from anyone. And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today, Pam. Thank you very much, Melanie. Until next time, this is Pam Fetros reminding you to live your own truth. Remember, it's not the bald, it's the bold. Thank you for listening to Boldly Bald Women, surviving and thriving in a hair-obsessed world. If you've enjoyed this program, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. To find out more about Boldly Bald Women and receive a free gift from Pam, please visit www.boldlybaldwomen.com.